Thanks for listening to the Frontline AudioCast. Before starting, a quick note. We wanted to let you know that Frontline has launched an original podcast series. The Frontline Dispatch expands our tradition of tough, fair, investigative reporting into the audio space. We hope you'll listen. You can find and subscribe to the Frontline Dispatch wherever you get your podcasts. And now, the AudioCast for War on the EPA, premiering October 11th on PBS and pbs.org frontline. Tonight, I'll be signing a proposed rule to withdraw the so-called clean power plan of the past administration. From fighting the EPA to running it. The abuses that we were subjected to by the overregulation are things that we can now change. Tonight on Frontline. And they are now setting the policies that they were so involved with trying to kill. He is making the regulated the regulators. War on the EPA. Frontline is made possible by contributions to your PBS station from viewers like you. Thank you. And by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Major support is provided by the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation, committed to building a more just, verdant, and peaceful world. Additional support is provided by the Ford Foundation, working with visionaries on the front lines of social change worldwide. The Park Foundation, dedicated to heightening public awareness of critical issues. The John and Helen Glessner Family Trust, supporting trustworthy journalism that informs and inspires. The Heising Simons Foundation, unlocking knowledge, opportunity, and possibilities. The Wincote Foundation, and by the Frontline Journalism Fund, with major support from John and Joanne Hagler. Major support for this program is provided by the Candida Fund, investing in transformative leaders and ideas. Corporate support for Frontline is provided by... Us Lives Here, where we can be surprised by others, and ourselves. But why? For a better us. President Trump getting ready to take a major swipe at former President Barack Obama's legacy on climate change. The president's executive order today calls for reviewing the clean power plan. According to EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt, the president's order will replace the Obama plan with a pro-growth approach to regulation. Two months after he became president, Donald Trump arrived at the Environmental Protection Agency for a ceremony unlike anything the agency had ever seen. I want to acknowledge the truly amazing people behind me on this stage, our incredible coal miners. He was there to fulfill a campaign promise. We love our coal miners. To begin undoing one of President Obama's signature achievements in the fight against climate change, the Clean Power Plan. You know what was most awkward about watching the signing of that executive order? was the fact that they were doing it at EPA. Former EPA Administrator Gina McCarthy. To me, it was not just a signal to his base, but a real shot across the bow to the agency itself. And, uh, and it, was, it was disturbing. 
The miners told me about the attacks on their jobs and their livelihoods. They told me about the efforts to shut down their mines, their communities, and their very way of life. I made them this promise. We will put our miners back to work. Mr. Trump, he acknowledged me in the audience. Murray Energy Corp CEO Bob Murray. And if you look at the press releases on it, the back of my bald head is in, is in the pictures. New York Times reporter Eric Lipton. The notion that Bob Murray of Murray Cole was at the EPA headquarters celebrating action by the EPA was like so completely fiction. My administration is putting an end to the war on coal. I would say that people were, were really devastated by that. Former EPA head of water, Betsy Sutherland. That it was considered to be uh, really an open slap in our face. What it conveyed is this is a hostile takeover. Former EPA head of civil enforcement, Eric Schaefer. You, the scientists and lawyers and engineers at the agency, are no longer valued. This is a political operation. It was a victory for Scott Pruitt, the president's new EPA administrator. For years, he'd been leading the fight against environmental regulations from Washington, like the Clean Power Plan. Ready? In working for both Bushes and for Clinton and Obama, I can say no previous administration has done what the Trump administration is doing at EPA now. There is a clear and present danger to public health and safety in this country that the repeals this administration is going to undertake are going to go forward. They're, they're not going to slow down. Bob Murray. It was eight years of pure hell under the Democrat Party and Obama. But we won. It's a wonderful victory. It's Wednesday, April 22nd, 2009. Good morning and happy Earth Day today. On Earth Day 2009, another new president laid out his agenda for the environment. The president spends this Earth Day in Iowa touting his energy plan and the creation of green jobs. It, too, was a sharp break from his predecessors. There's been some debate about this whole climate change issue. But it's serious. Candidate Obama had campaigned on the promise of clean energy and that this could be an economic engine. Senior advisor Brian Deese. And that was something that uh, the administration had its eye on from the get-go. There's no question that we have to regulate carbon pollution in some way. The only question is how we do it. The focus initially was, let's try to get something done nationally through Congress. I believe the best way to do it is through legislation that places a market-based cap on these kinds of emissions. And two was to say, let's reorient all of the federal agencies around taking seriously the threats of climate change and taking seriously the threats of uh, air pollution and water pollution. Obama's EPA went to work, implementing a series of anti-pollution rules that had been mandated by the courts, but neglected by previous administrations. When I got to EPA as the assistant administrator, there were a lot of rules right out of the gate. Gina McCarthy. We had a number of targets, if you will, and it's called pollution. Pollution in the air, pollution in the water, polluting of the land. 
we had a lot of rules that would potentially impact the energy sector as a whole. The idea was not just to clean up pollution, but steer the nation toward cleaner energy, like wind and solar, and cut emissions from fossil fuels that scientists agree are driving climate change. The fossil industry was, I think, rightly nervous. And so they started immediately going out of the gate, calling it a train wreck, that the administration was going to take all these actions and it was going to shut down the energy system, double the cost, retire facilities. It's a bad thing to do for the country, for the economy. We're having a hard time keeping up with demand with with the current regulatory system, the, the, all the environmental constraints and permitting problems. One of the most vocal critics of the Obama EPA was Myron Ebel of the Competitive Enterprise Institute, a free market think tank. Look, we're not against all regulation. We think that there's far too much regulation. It's far too heavy handed. It's far too expensive. I want to talk about global warming for a minute. Ebel frequently uh, defended the fossil fuel industry and rejected uh, the threat of climate change. I think that shows that the models are <coughs> phony. He staked out an extreme position, but other conservatives also expressed skepticism. If there is a global warming problem, the way a lot of conservatives think about this issue is maybe it is and maybe it isn't a problem. Former Cato Institute Vice President Jerry Taylor. And maybe it will have high costs and maybe it won't, but I know what the cost will be of constraining the market and taxing the market and restraining fossil fuel production. And since I know that that price will be paid, I am opposed to action until there is a near certainty that uh, climate change is going to be a significant uh, uh, worry in my lifetime. Thanks for regulating EPA. It's going to cost me $200 to fill up my tank. EPA's critics began running attack ads in oil and gas producing states. Thanks to your nutty global warming regulations, every American may be stuck in a ridiculous car like this. Many were produced by Americans for Prosperity an influential conservative group founded by billionaires Charles and David Koch. Much of the Koch's fortune came from oil and gas, and they would spend millions opposing Obama's initiatives. We envisioned a, a mass movement of hundreds of thousands of American citizens from all walks of life, standing up and fighting for the economic freedoms that have made our nation the most prosperous society in history. And that's exactly what American for Prosperity is doing. New Yorker writer Jane Mayer. What they've been arguing is that the environmental movement is just something that, that serves the sort of super rich. It's kind of like a project of the elites. And that um, any kind of regulations are going to hurt poor people. Hey there, I'm Carlton, the wealthy eco-hypocrite. I inherited my money and attended fancy schools. I own three homes and five cars, but always talk with my rich friends about saving the planet. And I want Congress to spend billions on programs in the name of global warming and green energy. Even if it causes massive unemployment, higher energy bills, and digs people like you deeper into the recession. Gina McCarthy. It was really an all-out attack on the administration. It did start feeding this war on coal scenario. Who's coal? Who's jobs? We have come here to stand up for American workers and the American dream. Myron Ebel. I think a lot of people in rural America, the places where people make stuff, dig up stuff, and grow stuff for a living, those people came to feel that the federal government is actually waging war on them, and primarily from the Environmental Protection Agency. 
American jobs are regulated out of existence in the name of environmental stewardship. There was no question that, that communities revolving around the coal mining industry would be disadvantaged. But that shift started in the 80s. Jerry Taylor. It's not EPA, it's the fact that automation has taken away a lot of those jobs and natural gas has virtually destroyed the industry because it's a lot cheaper. It gives you a taste for how disconnected from reality a lot of these conservative narratives really are. Meanwhile, a wave of anger was beginning to sweep the nation, not just against the EPA, but all of Washington, the Tea Party. Tea parties all across the nation are giving people the opportunity to sound off about big government. We're losing our freedom little by little every day. Including right here in Oklahoma. In Oklahoma, the resentment was particularly strong. Not only had Obama lost every county in 2008, but the state's economy is heavily dependent on fossil fuel production. I mean, one out of seven jobs in Oklahoma are related to oil and gas directly. GOP strategist Pat McFerrin. 22% of our state government revenue comes from oil and gas. I mean, it's a big part of who we are as a state. In Oklahoma City, the basketball arena is named after Chesapeake Energy and the skyline is dominated by oil company headquarters. The Devon Tower is designed to hold up to 3,000 Devon employees. At over 900 feet, it will be the tallest building in Oklahoma. But with the EPA aggressively pursuing a clean energy agenda, all of that seemed suddenly at risk. Oklahoma stands is a little unique uh, when it comes to, to global climate change because if if you're going to cost your friends and neighbors a jobs, you want to be damn certain you're right. And I think much of middle America gets concerned that the federal government will regulate us for the benefit of the people living on the coast. Seems to me like our government has gotten completely out of control. Uh, appears that they are becoming our rulers instead of our representatives. <laughs> you could just see the angst in people's eyes. Republican strategist Tyler Laughlin. Um, and they wanted somebody to do something about it. Ladies and gentlemen, the next Attorney General, Scott Pruitt. That somebody would be Scott Pruitt. Well, that's a great introduction. A former state senator and minor league baseball team owner running a very unconventional campaign for state attorney general. There's a mentality that comes out of Washington that says that they know best that they want to run every aspect of our life, that they want to manage our life. They think they're smarter than we are, and they want to tell us what to do in every aspect. And I want to say to you, this movement that we're about is bigger than a party. Our opponent at the time was selling the traditional attorney general message, and that was just uh, criminal justice. Tyler Laughlin was Pruitt's campaign manager. I'm Scott Pruitt. I'm running for attorney general. Pruitt's campaign was different. Rather than just pledging to fight crime, he was pledging to fight Washington. Here's the truth. I will fight the Obama administration. I'm Scott Pruitt. I ask for your vote. The congressmen aren't going to do anything about it. They're not holding the agencies at the federal level accountable. By gosh, we will. Number one, I'm going to establish an office of federalism internal to the AG's office. It will, it will be an office or a division where I will retain attorneys that will wake up each day, go to bed each night with one thought in mind. 
How do we make your constitutional liberties and freedoms real against Washington's encroachment? I mean, it, it, it was a unique idea at the time. The election was a landslide. We know it's a big night. Oklahomans have sent a very clear message that they want an advocate in the Attorney General's office to, to make sure that we give meaning to the Constitution, that as Washington, D.C. has passed items like Obamacare, the EPA's overreach, they want an advocate in the courts to make sure that we protect their freedoms. And I'm looking forward to being that advocate. Well, Republicans swept statewide races here in Oklahoma last night, and it was a big night for Republicans across the nation. Pruitt's victory coincided with a nationwide Tea Party wave that put Republicans in control of the House. Angry voters flocked to the GOP, which will take control of the House of Representatives. The election was also a victory for the fossil fuel industry and for the Koch brothers. They'd backed Pruitt, and groups they'd funded, including Americans for Prosperity, spent close to $20 million to help elect a Republican majority. Mr. Koch, are you proud of uh, the Tea Party movement and what they've achieved in the past yeah, year? Yeah, like there, there's some uh, uh, extremists there, but uh, the rank and file are just normal people like us. And I admire them. It's, it's probably the best grassroots uprising since uh, uh, 1776, in my opinion. Americans for Prosperity had sought a commitment from candidates. New Yorker writer Jane Mayer. They had pushed a pledge for candidates who were running to get their money. These candidates had to pledge to do nothing about global warming that would cost a cent. Something like 156 members of Congress signed this pledge. Jerry Taylor. Every Republican who had talked about the need to address climate action found something else to talk about. There was now little chance Obama could get Congress to act on climate change. We were on our heels politically and in a situation where it was difficult to uh, drive a proactive agenda around climate change. Obama advisor Brian Deese. And I think that was a source of constant frustration for the president. But Obama's EPA didn't let up. It continued to pressure the fossil fuel industry with anti-pollution regulations. In Oklahoma, Scott Pruitt was keeping tabs. Tyler Laughlin. We had an hour and a half each and every day to and from the office where he's reading rules that are being issued by the federal agencies, and it just pained him. Pruitt wasted no time delivering on his campaign promise to fight Washington. He established what he called a federalism unit, a special team that would fight federal rules imposed on Oklahoma. At the same time, he dismantled an environmental protection unit his Democratic predecessor had created. For me, it was a sad thing to watch, the, the dissolving of these units. Drew Edmondson. My successor spent his time in his federalism unit uh, attacking rules and regulations instead of enforcing them. New at five, more Oklahomans could lose their jobs altogether if the EPA forces the state's major power companies to make some costly changes. At the time, Oklahoma's largest power company was suing the EPA claiming it had overreached its authority when it imposed an expensive plan to reduce emissions from burning coal. Oklahoma Gas and Electric Council, Kimber Shoup. Overreach really was when EPA decided to usurp the state's authority and, and substitute its own judgment for a decision that the state made. Scott, welcome to the show. Well, it's good to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Pruitt filed suit and joined the company's case. The EPA, in the first quarter of this year, said, we don't like your plan and we're kicking it out. And they're in the process of forcing upon the state of Oklahoma something called a federal implementation plan. 
which I think is outside the statutory obligation or authority they have in the Clean Air Act. So Pruitt had that, backed a more lenient state plan to reduce emissions that was favored by the company. We found that he was aligned with our position with regards to pushing back and making sure that the state retained the authority to do what it thought was best. Oklahoma's oil and gas companies were also feeling pressure from the EPA and looking for support. Oklahoma Oil and Gas Association President Chad Warmington. What we felt like was EPA had far exceeded its authority. Whenever you have an agency like that that's starting to move into an industry where they don't know as much about it, I think there's always that, that uh, concern of a lack of understanding and familiarity. There were real environmental problems that we were dealing with. It was sometimes hard for the states to properly enforce the law. Former regional EPA administrator Al Armendariz. People in the oil and gas industry found it really unusual that someone from EPA was actually out there enforcing the law, taking samples, taking pictures, writing citations. They really saw the new administration as something new, um, as potentially a major threat. Scott Pruitt saw himself as their defender. Because they don't want us burning what? fossil fuels. The EPA has an anti-fossil fuel agenda. It's not anti-coal, it's not anti-natural gas, it's anti-fossil fuels, period. Chad Warmington. I think it fit with the role of him uh, doing what he could as attorney general to make sure that Oklahoma's uh, businesses and citizens were protected from, uh, from, from any, any outside threat, so to speak. With Pruitt on their side, the big oil and gas companies were also looking beyond Oklahoma for other AGs to push back against the EPA. They were donating to a group called RAGA, the Republican Attorneys General Association. There were hundreds of thousands of dollars that started to come in. And you know, in presidential politics, that's not a great deal of money. For attorney generals, it, it is a considerable sum. But the real story is, well, why is the energy sector donating so much money. What is it they are buying? New York Times reporter Eric Lipton began digging into the relationship between corporations and attorneys general. He showed up at a Raga fundraiser. I just walked in unannounced and was never asked who I was or why I was there. And saw lobbyists who were writing checks right in front of me and handing the checks to the attorneys general and to their aides. And they were just walking from room to room, the lobbyists. I was just amazed by how much of a kind of a factory assembly line the whole thing was and how institutionalized it had become. And again, that this involved law, the top law enforcement officials from each of the states. It was, I was really startled by it. So thank you for the opportunity to be with you today. Scott Pruitt was a star at Raga and served two terms as chairman. His term kind of coincided with that upsurge in the rise of corporate influence. Former Oklahoma AG Drew Edmondson. Uh, he certainly didn't cause it, uh, but he benefited from it, and uh, in his participation with RAGA, he encouraged it. Lipton wanted to know more about the extent of Pruitt's relationship with the energy industry. It's about making sure that the checks and balances are honored. So he filed a public records request for his emails. It took months. It was not until I, I finally traveled to Oklahoma that I got the documents. When I first got to his office, there were these large paintings on the wall. It just struck me that this was the real Wild West, that we will dispense our own justice. 
and his public information officer comes over with this huge stack of documents with a rubber band around it, like you know, a couple feet worth of, of printed out paper, no electronic copy. And I kept seeing Devon Energy's logo in the emails and all kinds of requests for meetings with him and, and requests for him to send letters um, and you know, complaints about various Obama rules. Lipton found a letter that Pruitt had written to the EPA disputing the science behind a proposal to limit methane emissions from oil and gas rigs. Then he noticed something else. What I discovered was that the letters that Scott Pruitt had written were identical copies in most cases of the draft letters that Devin had sent him. He had taken those letters and simply put them on a stationery and sent them in, as if they were essentially the state law enforcement official opinion. I was like, holy Devon executives thanked Pruitt for his help. It was not illegal. I was just struck by, well, whose interest is he pursuing here? Uh, is, he, is he really acting on behalf of the state residents or is he acting as a, an attorney for Devon? They were paying, you know, indirectly in the form of campaign contributions, large amounts of money to his cause, and he was then taking actions that benefited their cause. Um, and that, that was disturbing to me. Both Devon and Pruitt told Lipton they did nothing improper. Lipton's series would eventually win a Pulitzer Prize. What was the impact of that New York Times series here in Oklahoma? Republican strategist Pat McFerrin. <clears throat> The impact of that New York Times series was minimal in Oklahoma. Uh, if anything, I think it probably helped him here. Uh, because if you're fighting for oil and gas, you're fighting for Oklahoma. And, and I think that was a real positive for Scott. By 2012, Pruitt's reputation as a pro-industry fighter was spreading. He caught the attention of Andrew Miller, a former Virginia attorney general who was now representing Southern Company, a coal-burning utility. The Southern Company was very concerned. Would it have to close uh, certain uh, coal-fired facilities, et cetera? Uh, so it was important to maintain a line of communication uh, with somebody who understood the problem. Miller wrote to Pruitt that he was worried about four more years under the Obama EPA. He urged him to team up with other AGs and fossil fuel lobbyists to form a unified front against the president. Andy Miller argued that they needed to create what he called a strike force that was going to challenge the Obama rules, particularly as they were going into the second term, and that, that the, there was hell to pay for oil and gas industry, that they really needed to team up with the coal industry to fight back. Could you understand why someone might think of this as being somewhat unseemly, that you have corporations and attorneys general partnering up on an action plan um, to fight federal environmental regulations? Not at all. Uh, and the reason I say that is you have the Sierra Club uh, partnering with attorneys general on the other side. Uh, so it's all part of the democratic process. Uh, it may be uh, messy, uh, but it's certainly not unseemly. I think you just have to accept uh, that lobbying properly done uh, in this country is uh, what makes the wheels of government turn. Miller suggested that Pruitt organize a two-day meeting in Oklahoma City. It was called the Summit on Federalism and the Future of Fossil Fuels. Reporter Eric Lipton. It was essentially a gathering of the most important brain trust, the corporations, their lawyers, the lobbyists, 
and, and Pruitt and the Republican attorney generals that all came together and, their strat their, and they were there to figure out how do we stop the environmental rules. As I flew into Oklahoma City after Devon Energy had built its new structure there, uh, the sun was reflecting on the face of that pyramid and there was this burst of light coming from the pyramid, which I thought was very apt. I think it gave you the impression that uh, energy was here to stay. <laughs> the result of the summit uh, was the uh, strike force of litigation. And General Pruitt emerged uh, as, in effect, the, the commander, the lawyer-in-chief uh, for AGs who were concerned about what EPA was doing. With Obama about to begin his second term, Pruitt and the group were especially concerned about the president imposing action on climate change. Prophet Jeremiah speaks of there being a cloud on the horizon no larger than a man's hand. Uh, and then that cloud turns into a terrible storm. Four days after the summit in Oklahoma, Pruitt and his allies watched as President Obama took the stage at his second inauguration. Their fears were coming true. Some may still deny the overwhelming judgment of science, but none can avoid the devastating impact of raging fires and crippling drought and more powerful storms. Obama advisor Brian Deese. If you go back and you look at that speech, you see a president speaking about climate change with a degree of precision and passion and power. We will respond to the threat of climate change knowing that the failure to do so would betray our children and future generations. The sense of frustration around not being able to put enough priority on this in the first term was palpable. He was sending a signal that this was going to be uh, the moment where he was going to put additional priority on that. But the Republican-controlled Congress still wouldn't work with him on climate change. Congressman Kevin Kramer. Barack Obama taking climate change and, and making it, you know, calling it the, the, you know, the greatest challenge or the greatest crisis that faces the, the country or the world. I think people saw that as alarmism. That kind of extreme rhetoric, I think, only, only fuels, if you will, if you excuse the expression, fuels the opposition. It causes us to go to our, to our, poll, to our polls a little bit. With the opposition digging in in Washington and around the country, Obama turned to Gina McCarthy to lead the EPA. The first thing he said to me was, Gina, are you prepared to move forward on climate change? And I said, Mr. President, I don't want the job unless we're both committed <laughs> to move forward. And absolutely. And it was the shortest conversation in human history. As I've said before, there's going to be a year of action. The president's team decided to make an end run around Congress. We are not just going to be waiting for legislation in order to make sure uh, that we're providing Americans uh, the kind of help that they need. Uh, I've got a pen and I've got a phone. Uh, and I can use that pen to sign executive orders uh, and take executive actions and administrative actions that move the ball forward. Kevin Kramer. When President Obama said that he'll take matters in his own hand with his pen and his, and his phone, it was such a shot across the bow to the other side that I don't need you. Today, and just as the energy industry had feared, it was Obama's first target. I'm directing the Environmental Protection Agency to put an end to the limitless dumping of carbon pollution from our power plants and complete new pollution standards for both new and existing power plants. By executive authority, 
the EPA would begin developing the Clean Power Plan. It was the first time that this country was going to regulate carbon emissions from the power industry. Former regional EPA administrator Al Armendariz. And the power industry is the largest source of carbon emissions in this country. Can we imagine a more worthy goal? Lobbyist Andrew Miller. He just went ahead to executive orders and instructions to the agency, uh, go ahead and do what I want to have done without congressional endorsement. Scott Pruitt and his strike force had been watching closely. The Constitution in the hands of this president is a very dangerous thing. And he's demonstrated that many, many times. And as state attorneys general, we are responding. As Obama's clean power plan took shape, the attorneys general would challenge the EPA in a barrage of lawsuits. I think it's going to be a series of litigation that we're involved in. I have six lawsuits just in Georgia against the EPA, and I'm sure my, my fellow uh, attorneys general have similar uh, numbers of litigation. They tried to stop rules from mercury levels in the air to agricultural waste in water. Reporter Eric Lipton. Different states were taking the lead on different pieces of litigation, and then they were having these conference calls, which they were comparing notes on, okay, this file has been filed in this federal court, this appeal is coming up, who's gonna take the lead on this? Greg Abbott in Texas, a kid Greg often that he has about 12 or 13 lawsuits against the EPA. We're trying to catch up here in Oklahoma. I was on the other side of these cases, arguing on behalf of public health, and a cleaner environment and a safer climate. John Walk is attorney for the National Resources Defense Council. What you saw from Mr. Pruitt was a throw the kitchen sink set of arguments at EPA to try not just to delay these standards or to improve these protections adopted by EPA, but to void them, to nullify them. Pruitt would eventually challenge the Obama EPA 14 times claiming the agency had reached beyond its authority. Most of the legal claims are still unresolved. Pruitt staffer Tyler Laughlin. Scott's a baseball player. He's going to get up and keep swinging. If he thinks it's the right thing to do, he's going to get up and keep swinging. Pruitt swung hardest at the Clean Power Plan, which the EPA finally announced in 2015. Hi, everyone. I'm Gina McCarthy, Administrator of the United States Environmental Protection Agency. I am so proud to let you know that the United States has just taken a big step forward on climate change. The plan called on states to reduce carbon emissions from fossil fuel power plants by the year 2030. Al Armendariz. It didn't require uh, all coal and gas and oil to, to be phased out in the country. It didn't ban the use of fossil fuels. It didn't require any power stations in this country to retire. All it said was, reduce your emissions by about 30% and we'll give you a couple decades to do it. Andrew Miller. The Clean Power Plan, uh, if that is put into effect, you're going to have a significant increase in electric rates uh, in this country. You're going to have a significant loss of jobs. The EPA and some experts who analyzed the plan said it would end up creating jobs. But fears still resonated as did predictions that it would hasten the demise of the coal industry. It is a strategy way beyond coal companies. Of course, it's a human issue to me because my employees' lives are being destroyed. On the day the plan was announced, Pruitt and the other AGs were meeting at the Greenbrier Resort in West Virginia with coal baron Bob Murray. Eric Lipton. Bob Murray is a kind of elder statesman of the coal industry and is convinced that that the Obama administration is, is, has a war on coal and is hurting his employees and hurting his company and hurting his profits. 
that day. He was in a private meeting with Republican attorneys generals to discuss the Clean Power Plan and how they were going to challenge it. Murray wanted Pruitt and the others to join him in a lawsuit against the EPA to stop the plan, claiming federal overreach. I gave them the work that we had done for the past two years. They uh, listened intently. His position was that the plan would cost the coal industry billions while doing little for the environment. And he rejected the overwhelming science that fossil fuel emissions were driving climate change. We don't have a climate change problem. It is not real and not scientifically based. It's a theology, it's politics, and it's an agenda. They packed the US EPA with radical environmentalists, never created a job in their lives, never produced anything for society, but sat there writing rules all day. I have nothing but contempt. And, and then they walk out and they announce, after having a briefing with Murray Energy, that they're going to sue. We're involved with a number of states, West Virginia being our primary partner. Uh, in challenging the, the lawfulness of the, of the plan. Scott Pruitt. As I indicated earlier, it's the last frontier for President Obama. But Obama had a larger agenda, a global agreement to reduce carbon emissions. With the Clean Power Plan, he hoped to persuade other countries to make similar commitments. Advisor Brian Deese. That set off a breakneck set of diplomatic negotiations with the president very involved flying to India, hosting the Brazilians, trying to broker understandings with the Mexicans and the Canadians. Country after country just trying to get everybody in the tent. In late 2015, the diplomacy paid off. In Paris this morning, a potential landmark deal is being revealed on climate change. For the first time in history, 195 nations have come together to approve the first global agreement to limit carbon emissions. I've come here personally to say that the United States of America not only recognizes our role in creating this problem, we embrace our responsibility to do something about it. Paris was an enormous success. I see no objections. The Paris Agreement is adopted. Gina McCarthy. Leaving Paris, it felt like the vast majority of us were about 10,000 feet higher than the plane itself. It was such an elevating moment. But while Obama and McCarthy were celebrating the Paris Agreement, Scott Pruitt and Bob Murray were still working to stop their climate agenda at home. Well, looks like a heated battle is erupting between the Environmental Protection Agency and the Supreme Court. Less than two months later, the Supreme Court intervened in Pruitt and Murray's lawsuit against the Clean Power Plan. The High Court's order means these regulations can't go into effect until legal challenges against them are settled. Without ruling on the merits of the case, it ordered the EPA to put the plan on hold until the suit was resolved. It was not a good moment for me. Uh, for, uh, well, frankly, I don't think it was a good moment for America either. Hi, General. How you doing? Pruitt was interviewed by a reporter in Oklahoma. The Clean Power Plan, this particular rule, has been stopped dead in its tracks and, and will not survive its presidency. 
It invigorated us. Bob Murray. I have fought this fight every day. And now I'm going to bury the sons of bitches. It was the middle of the 2016 presidential campaign, and Murray headed off to New York to try to forge another political alliance. I called Donald Trump's office at Trump Tower in New York. And when I walked into his office, and he was alone, we talked for 50 minutes. I can talk, he can talk about coal, about the connection between coal miners' jobs, coal miners' families. I, I was so impressed with him. Trump began talking more about coal on the campaign trail. And soon, he was holding rallies in West Virginia's coal country. Just glad to be here, because I love you people. The real people. You're the real, real people. You made this country great. Remember that. It would become a winning message. Myron Ebo. I think he learned an awful lot about America that the other candidates missed. They didn't have ridiculous regulations that put you out of business. They didn't have these ridiculous rules and regulations that make it impossible for you to compete. The coal miner became the perfect symbol for Donald Trump's message of making America great again by making America you know, builders again. Trump campaign advisor Kevin Kramer. The connection between the coal miner as a symbol and what a coal miner does with his or her hands and the big machines and whatnot was the perfect symbol for the Rust Belt of America. That coalition, if you will, of cultures created what is you know, uh, the Donald Trump phenomenon. Election alert, Donald Trump is the president of the United States. Coal country and the Rust Belt helped propel Trump to victory. Trump's victory built on the backs of white working class voters for whom he was the candidate of hope and change. As Trump and his team prepared for the transition, they reached out to Myron Ebo with a surprising offer. He said, well, Mr. Trump believes that the federal government cannot go on the way it is. And I said, well, I agree with that. And that it requires fundamental transformation. I said, well, I agree with that. And that he thinks that the EPA is one of the uh, obstacles to getting the economy going again in, in heartland America. And I said, well, I certainly agree with that. And Mr. Trump has even said that he wants to abolish the EPA. And I said, well, I agree with that. And he said, well, that's why we're asking you to run the Trump transition team for the EPA. Gina McCarthy. Well, it gave me a clear understanding of, of the direction that the administration was, was planning to head because Mr. Ebel is one of the big and most vocal climate deniers. Ebel began helping to create a plan for the Trump EPA. And it wasn't long before Scott Pruitt emerged as the pick to take it over. What was your reaction when the president announced Scott Pruitt? Total delight. Bob Murray. And did you have a hand in recommending Scott Pruitt to the president to be EPA administrator? No comment. No comment. Oklahoma's Attorney General Scott Pruitt named the nominee of President-elect Donald Trump to lead the Environmental Protection Agency. A leading critic of the EPA now in line to take its helm. A dozen of Bob Murray's coal miners showed up at the U.S. Senate in January for Scott Pruitt's confirmation hearing. 
For Pruitt, it was a chance to explain why a critic of the EPA should run it. I, I believe there is a very important role for the Environmental Protection Agency. In fact, its involvement in protecting our air quality and improving our nation's waters is extremely important. And the EPA has served a very valuable role historically. We must reject as a nation the false paradigm that if you're pro-energy, you're anti-environment, and if you're pro-environment, you're anti-energy. Pruitt also expressed his doubts about climate change. Let me say to you, science tells us that the climate is changing, and then human activity in some manner impacts that change. The ability to measure with precision the degree and extent of that impact and what to do about it are subject to continuing debate and dialogue, and well it should be. But Senate Democrats had strong doubts. The fear is that the nomination of Mr. Pruitt is a nomination designed to protect the fossil fuel industry and not the environment. We have a meeting agenda from the Republican Attorney General's Association uh, meeting at the Greenbrier. Sheldon Whitehouse, a former attorney general from Rhode Island, pressed Pruitt on his ties to industry. Uh, mentions a, a private meeting with Murray Energy. What the American public deserves is the assurance that people who take government positions are making their decisions based on the merits, not based on prior relationships, present relationships, the expectation of future relationships. The priority was to get at the conflicts of interest. You helped raise money for the Republican Attorney General's Association. While you were a member of its executive committee, they received $530,000 from Koch Industries, $350,000 from Murray Energy, and $125,000 from Devon Energy. Did you solicit in your role at the Republican Attorney General's Association any of that funding? I attended fundraising events as an attorney general along with other attorneys general with respect to the RAGA. And did you solicit? Did you ask them for money that, for RAGA? As I, as I indicated, I attended fundraising events. Senator Whitehouse. In the ordinary course, his conflicts of interest would disqualify him from this position. And were it not for the power of the fossil fuel industry in Congress, then I don't think he would have had a shot. One of President Trump's most controversial cabinet picks has made it through the Senate. Scott Pruitt was just sworn in moments ago. He will run the Environmental Protection Agency, much to the dismay of many environmentalists. A week after Pruitt was confirmed, the president gave his marching orders. Today, this executive order directs each agency to establish a regulatory reform task force. It was a mandate to all federal agencies to slash regulations. The New Yorker's Jane Mayer. What you see now with the Trump administration is the triumph of the anti-environmental movement. Should I give this pen to Andrew? Dow Chemicals. <laughs> they are now in control of the government and in control of the regulatory process in a kind of a brazen way we haven't seen before. There's a tendency to ignore what's going on in places like the EPA. And really radical things are happening there and, and people aren't paying attention. Well, let me tell you, there's been a change of direction, obviously, at the EPA, because the war on coal ended, the war on fossil fuels ended. To help him, Pruitt hired people with deep ties to industry. Eric Lipton, New York Times. It's startling to see the class of people that he surrounded himself with, the lawyers and lobbyists who were fighting alongside of him to challenge the Obama rules. They are now setting the policies that they were so involved with trying to kill.
He is making the regulated the regulators. Pruitt also relied heavily on his fellow Oklahoman, the Senate's leading climate change denier, James Inhofe. We keep hearing that 2014 has been the warmest year on record. I asked the chair, you know what this is? It's a snowball. Several of Pruitt's senior advisors worked for Inhofe at one time. It happens the person who is running the EPA right now is a good friend of mine. In fact, his chief of staff was my chief of staff. Uh, so the, the abuses that we were subjected to by the overregulation for uh, the eight years under Obama are things that we can now change. And we are in the process of doing that. People are not aware of it. Scott Pruitt promised an aggressive rollback of environmental regulations that had been put in place by former President Obama. The Environmental Protection Agency dropped a requirement that oil and gas interests report information on methane emissions. Scott Pruitt said withdrawing the rule will ease burdens on business. The new head of the Environmental Protection Agency reversed steps to ban a controversial widely used pesticide linked to potential health problems in children and farm workers. Soon. Scott Pruitt's EPA had moved to delay or roll back more than two dozen rules and regulations. Scott Pruitt, he is the star on the Trump team, getting more done. Bob Murray. Probably than any other appointee to date. I gave Mr. Trump what I called an action plan very early. It's about three and a half pages. And of what he needed to do in his administration. He's wiped out page one. Ready? At the top of Murray's list was the rule that he and Pruitt had sued to stop, Obama's Clean Power Plan. Okay. Oklahoma Oil and Gas Association President Chad Warmington. You know, I think he's doing probably kind of exactly what we figured he would do. I mean, we, we're, we've, we're kind of pretty familiar with Scott. I, I'd say it was a closed door, and it's now open in, in terms of the ability to engage and know that you're going to have the ability uh, to have a seat at the table. I think that's the single easiest way to describe kind of what we feel, is we just have a seat at the table. The EPA would not make Pruitt available for an interview, but longtime staffers have been shocked by the way he's leading the agency. The political leaders that uh, were brought in did not speak to any of the EPA staff, even at the management level. Betsy Sutherland was the director of the EPA Office of Science and Technology for Water. It was really left up to us as staff people to just read the news media, read the executive orders, and draw conclusions ourselves. Betsy Sutherland left the EPA in July after more than 30 years and is the highest ranking staff member to speak out on television. The atmosphere at EPA is, is really tense. What everyone is trying desperately to do is to hope against hope that their facts will change Scott Pruitt's mind, that they'll be special, and they'll be able to convince the administrator, you know, not to go with whatever the industry people have asked him to do, and to give some deference to the, to the science and engineering behind uh, previous regulations that were so thoroughly thought out and so thoroughly justified. Sutherland saw her own work targeted when she says, without warning, Pruitt announced a rule she helped develop to keep toxic coal waste out of the water supply was up for reconsideration. First, I knew that this rule that we worked years to create was up for grabs was when I saw the administrator's press release. 
that said that uh, basically he was going to reconsider the rule because it was a job killer and had a huge economic impact on the country. After months of trying, Sutherland says she finally met with Pruitt himself to try to explain why the rule was both necessary and cost-effective. It seems like the die is cast before we even start these elaborate, extensive briefings. He just doesn't ask any questions. It's, it's just a mystery as to how you can persuade him uh, to, to not follow exactly what industry asks him to do and instead be, be more accommodating to, to the facts of the case. In a statement, the EPA called Sutherland's account a false characterization. They noted she retired for personal reasons with a six-figure taxpayer-funded pension and was now expressing faux outrage. The rule she worked on was suspended in September, six weeks after her retirement. At her goodbye party, she offered colleagues a grim assessment of the road ahead. Today, the environmental field is suffering from the triumph of myth over truth. The truth is there is no war on coal, there is no economic crisis called by environmental protection, and climate change is caused by man's activities. The EPA started taking down its climate data from the agency's website. Now the Trump administration wants to cut the EPA's budget by a third. Scott Pruitt has decided to replace half of the members on its key science advisory board. President Trump is about to step into the Rose Garden to announce one of the biggest decisions he's made since taking office. Former EPA Administrator Gina McCarthy. You know, it's a really good question for me to sort of retrospectively look back and see whether we won a battle and lost the war. Could I have done anything different? I, I don't know. Uh, I, I can continue to look back and I'll probably always ask myself that. I've been involved in a lot of things that people consider lost causes. Myron Ebel. Uh, one of the things I've learned is that lost causes aren't always lost, but that the key is you have to be persistent. It was a culminating moment, I'd say. Just to say a few words, Scott, please. We were winning. Our side was winning. Thank you, Mr. President. Your decision today to exit the Paris Accord reflects your unflinching commitment to put America first. America finally has a leader who answers only to the people, not to the special interests who've had their way for way too long. Donald Trump has a mandate. Bob Murray. To keep his campaign promise to withdraw from the Climate Paris Accord. You conferred with the president and you told him this. I did. We owe no apologies to other nations for our environmental stewardship. American people can take comfort because you have their backs. Thank you, Mr. President. Last week, President Trump nominated a lobbyist for Murray Energy to be Scott Pruitt's second-in-command at the EPA. Yesterday, October 10th, Pruitt signed a measure to repeal the Clean Power Plan, saying he was, quote, righting the wrongs of the Obama administration, unquote. 
Go to pbs.org frontline to hear more from former EPA staffer Betsy Sutherland. And to give some deference to the science and engineering. Learn more about how climate change policy is changing under Scott Pruitt. The war on coal ended. The war on fossil fuels ended. Then connect to the Frontline community on Facebook, Twitter, and pbs.org frontline. Frontline is made possible by contributions to your PBS station from viewers like you. Thank you. And by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Major support is provided by the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation, committed to building a more just, verdant, and peaceful world. Additional support is provided by the Ford Foundation, working with visionaries on the front lines of social change worldwide. The Park Foundation, dedicated to heightening public awareness of critical issues. The John and Helen Glessner Family Trust, supporting trustworthy journalism that informs and inspires. The Heising Simons Foundation, unlocking knowledge, opportunity, and possibilities. The Wincote Foundation, and by the Frontline Journalism Fund, with major support from John and Joanne Hagler. Major support for this program is provided by the Candida Fund, investing in transformative leaders and ideas. Corporate support for Frontline is provided by us lives here, where we can find common ground, big enough to dance on. But why? For a better us. by James Jacoby and produced by Anya Borg and James Jacoby. The senior producer was Frank Kewen. The managing editor of Frontline is Andrew Metz. The executive producer of Frontline is Rainey Aronson-Roth. Frontline, War on the EPA is available on DVD. To order, visit shoppbs.org or call 1-800-PLAY-PBS. Frontline is also available for download on iTunes.